0: Right, I'm back from my holiday, that's right, holiday, vacation. Nothing mysterious about that, is there? I was never a missing person, let's make that clear, right now. And thank you to Uncle Claude for holding the fort for me last week. I didn't ask him to do it, and I'd much prefer it if he hadn't, but thanks anyway. If you missed last week's episode, that's episode 25, it was presented somewhat bizarrely by my uncle Claude and also if you haven't heard it yet I wouldn't bother if I were you it wasn't quite up to the standard that I would usually expect although to be fair there was some great music no question about that. I would have been much angrier with Uncle Claude because strictly speaking he invaded my personal space in a truly unforgivable way but you know what listeners He's redeemed himself by putting together a very, very good episode of Ragbag's Bonus Back with Chris from the Alaskan Pipeline, no less. I honestly don't think I could have done it any better myself, so thanks, Uncle Claude. And now that I've said that, and after you've listened to this, let's just forget that Uncle Claude exists and never mention him again unless it becomes absolutely necessary. Welcome to Ragbag's Bonus Bag My name's Claude I was going to suggest renaming this Chikory Pokery's Bonus Poke but that's not my place to say. Um, for this edition, I interviewed Chris from the Alaskan Pipeline, a fantastic indie rock band who, as you will hear, had a shot at being the next big thing, but it didn't quite happen, which is a shame because they're really, really good, cool, brilliant band. You know what? Just because they're not famous doesn't mean they're not good. It takes nothing away from the quality of their music. Here's one of their early songs, their breakthrough record, if you like. It's called Grandfather Clock. You may also know Chris from the uh, Movie Bunker podcast, which is a very good podcast. I like it very much. It's part of the Britpod scene, which is also uh, what Ragbag is part of, the Britpod scene. We'll talk about that later as well. But here's the song, Grandfather Clock. Here you go. And then we'll hear from Chris.
1: The clock tick tock tick tock. I saw you shoot him, and you spun him like a top.
2: Yeah, so initially we weren't... I guess the dream was always to, to do this as a profession. I mean, we all were heavily into it. And we spent a lot of time rehearsing and writing. I mean, I did the main sort of writing of the song and brought a, a shell of something to the rehearsals and we would then all just come together with something. And our lead guitarist has quite a distinctive sound or developed a distinctive sound. So we had something that was, you know, not original by any means, but... Um, something a little bit different to what was maybe happening in us in our hometown scene. And it was a lot of kind of, right, I guess, punkish type of sounds coming out. It's like the Future Heads were quite big and um, trying to think of other bands that were coming out at the time like Kaiser Chiefs and stuff like that. So it was that kind of jarring f- sound on our music scene in Southampton which is where we were all based. And so we were doing like a bit more of a... I don't know, not commercial, but a bit more, yeah, like I say, soundscapey, a little bit more washy. I think it caught the attention, you know, of a few people, but we were we weren't expecting it. I mean, by we were gigging in London and gigging in our hometown. Um we were get we were doing small mini tours, uh, like transit tours, those you know, sort of things where you you kind of buddy up with other bands in similar hometowns and we would share um share venues and things like that. And and so that brought a bit of success. I mean, we got played on our local radio station um quite a bit. They had like an evening session type of slot on a sunday and we 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 hooked up with the dj on that a gig we managed to catch her at in portsmouth and then struck up quite a big friendship with her and her husband was like a a music consultant um, and he offered to manage us so it was all going really well um, we were getting on Kerrang radio and things like that. The main song, the Grandfather Clock song, was just the one that kind of kicked everything off for us. You know, it had certainly something a bit, you know, moody about it and, and uh we were really proud of it. It was like the first proper recording we'd done. We we kind of invested in a bit more studio time to make it sound right. We had a really good sound engineer on it the the sort of sound difference and quality between like the first two or three eps to the like the main ep that kicked things off was incredible i mean we'd never dreamed we'd be able to produce something like that it was all down to uh rob Aubrey, who was a really good sound engineer and uh yeah, did it all in his garden studio which was amazing So we spent a bit more money on that uh, and, you know, spent time getting it right. And he worked wonders with the drum tracks and everything to make everything sounds on. We had another music consultant. His friend came in and just helps us tweak bits and pieces. So we were really fortunate. We knew some good people and it was all fluky. And then I guess we had, a, we had about six months of like real positive stuff happening and, uh well, radio play was really good. We got to meet some people from a uh, and r um you know at one point our inbox is like before you know Facebook and Twitter and everything like that. so was like myspace wasn't even really that much of a big deal. This is before all that um so i I mean myspace was around, but I mean we weren't really using it to to the like I guess it got really popular after the Arctic Monkeys proclaimed that they you know, got signed off it, and so did like Lily Allen, which was kind of a bit of a myth, I think. Uh, it was a powerful tool, MySpace, but I don't think it really made or break, broke artists. It was still very traditional back in those days of A&R guys coming to see bands that were touring. So, yeah, uh, we were sort of one or two weeks on in a, in one sort of go. We got emails from pretty much nearly every major label in the UK and it was like oh my god what's happening and then it wasn't just uh the majors it was some of the you know smaller labels and then we started getting emails from music journal- uh, lawyers and things like that off- offering to represent us so the name had obviously got out there somehow uh, we didn't do anything to push it it was just um, happening on its own and i think we'd played a couple of london shows and then all of a sudden we were just trying to hook up with A&R guys from the various labels to, for them to see us and then you know to meet them afterwards. Um, so it was really exciting. And so we did all that and then nothing happened, essentially. Yeah, it was very strange. We felt we went really up and then we came really down. Now I guess it was one of those stories that's very common in the industry. Uh, now I think it's a very different animal uh, than what it was when we were doing that. I mean, this is only like... Oh, what was it what's over 10 years ago, it was 2003, thousand and three, four, and five, when it was really looking quite nice for us. And then it's an odd feeling to have that, that level of, uh, I guess, uh, interest in it for it just to completely disappear. Uh, and, you know, they don't give you any feedback as to why they're not, you know, going to meet you again or they don't want to take it any further. They just sort of said, cheers and we'll be in touch. And that was about it. And <laughs> once your name is, I guess... Uh, Mentioned in some sort of meeting, and I'm guess all the A&R guys talk and certain according to our manager at the time who seemed to know what he was talking about um he said you know they all communicate, and this is uh, and so the interest would be there, and they wouldn't want to miss out on potentially a band that's going to make them some money so you know i i I guess yeah, we were one of those bands on the circuit that everyone needed to see, and everyone wanted to hear or, or wanted to know whether they were going to be a, a potential signing. And when when they, when they realised that we weren't, that's I guess they're in. You know, that's when things peak, and then they just go. I mean, I mean, you, I take everything with a pinch of salt. I mean, obviously it was exciting at the time. I was younger, and um, looking back on it and seeing all the bands that we supported locally that were getting record deals, and you know, we were following. And some bands in Southampton were were made it. I mean, the delays and Band of Skulls who weren't, called that at the time and there was a couple of other bands who i've forgotten right now but that got signed and ultimately nothing really happened and it is a poison chalice now i'm older and wiser and obviously i'm a bit of a bitter and twisted old geezer now but i would obviously i wouldn't not have signed anything but obviously don't make any money and and you don't own any of the music ultimately um that wouldn't have changed anything back then um and i don't think it would change anything now if i got the opportunity to do it but uh, it's just always worth considering that you know you go into a studio write a whole album record it mix it shoot videos and ultimately you don't end up owning any of it and you have to pay it all back and you're not paid very much and you tore the head out of something in yeah and that's it the end of it and you either get a second album or you don't and a lot of the bands I say as I say that we were you know supporting and the venues didn't seem to they seem to disappear I would never ever tell, tell people not to have a it sounds really old and stupid, but to tell people not to have a dream but it's it was it's important now to do it for to do it for fun obviously i can't do it professionally because i you know that doesn't pay it doesn't pay the bills and i 've got a family and i you know I do other stuff that probably floats a creative like does boat i guess um and so we got back together wow, what happened? I sp- we spit the band up. that's what happened, yeah, we all broke up, we broke up because basically we couldn't be bothered to work harder at it, we kind of got a little bit despondent with the whole thing, I felt I was going to make it on my own, as an egotistical front man, probably uh, back in those days, I thought I probably was better than I was, and um, I thought no, I'm going to do it alone and go solo and do some acoustic shows and it'll all happen that way, and uh I wrote some new material and, and recorded it and put a new EP out on my own and um, did some gigs because I was sort of riding on the coattails of the pipeline and stuff that we'd done before. I uh, got a little bit of stuff on the radio, but then the yeah, same thing really happened, nothing happened. You know, I supported some good singers uh, around the South, but it was, again, it sort of fizzled out to nothing.
1: Then has come and it won't leave my side. It makes me feel young, makes me feel alive.
2: And then I reformed the band to some extent in 2010 with a new line-up and a new sound, and it 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 changed everything again we went more for a country feel which is kind of what i was really always after i guess uh well I say country but americano i suppose closer to it i was into sort of getting into that kind of scene the american sound and really loved the pedal steel and banjo and um so i i, I was lucky enough to bump into one of my old school friends who was is an amazing guitarist and uh he he played pedal steel and all sorts of stuff on the on the new stuff that we recorded and then bit of a lineup change got some keyboards in and a great friend of mine who i've known since i was college hooked up with him again and he played keys and organ and hammond and things like that and it just changed the whole dynamic and the songs just completely different to what we did and originally we kept the name but it wasn't intentional we kind of could never find a new name for the band it was uh, one of those things you know it's the hardest thing to do is find a name for your band (laughs) originally it was uh we named it after um a James song from one of their albums, probably way out one of their earlier albums, and then when I tried to re when we reformed and I tried to rename the band because I didn't really want it to go under the same banner because it was different music, you know I didn't really want to upset anybody else that had been in the band and was not in it now, sort of thing, and I wanted to change the names just for that reason alone, but we couldn't find anything, and also I wanted to capitalize on potentially some of the some of the following that we may have had um you know out there still might have been interested in the new stuff so we kept the name yeah released another EP and did some more radio stuff but this time it was just you know fun home recordings a different completely different vibe if you like very hard not to roll your r's i mean as a as a singer i mean it's one of those things a lot of american punk singers or or pop singers will try to sound british or english because obviously of the britannia kind of music sound but in the uk it's it's the opposite i mean there's famous it's famously a lot of artists in the sixties and seventies would or bands would try and emulate that American sound with the singing and Mick Jagger being the most sort of i guess famous one who would deliberately try and sound American to you know be appealing across the pond and I think it's really hard not to sing with an American accent if you're singing that kind of music, so it was a conscious thing for me not to try and roll my r's and you know make it you know like the crash test dummies or something at the end <laughs> we did a benefit gig recently in december for uh one of our old um promoters in Southampton that we, we we worked with a lot unfortunately uh suffered with a lot of mental health and and took his life which was very sad and we decided the the venue that he worked at uh, pulled a lot of bands from the era i guess that he was working there together and a lot of us had broken up or not played together for years so i we decided to get the original lineup together like the from 2005 lineup together and we played the original set that we hadn't played uh for years and i hadn't seen the two of the guitarists i hadn't seen for probably 10 years if i'm honest um we got together and rehearsed and it was amazing amazing gig uh and we've got some of that footage on our facebook page but it it, it was like we never it's like we never split up it was a very strange feeling to be playing with them all again and after so much time 15 years or so had passed and we hadn't played the songs and it was i kind of want to do it again i think we've all agreed that we're going to try and do another show uh with the original lineup and play the original se- or the set that we had um yeah, but just it was just uh, an incredible thing to do. Let's sort of, I guess we weren't enemies, or uh, there was a little bit of, I guess, bad blood between some of us because of the, you know, what had happened um, and how things ended. But it was, it was just nice to bury the hatchet and speak to them all again and have a, have a good time, which ultimately comes across. So hopefully, we're doing some more shows with the, you know, the original lineup, which sounds really corny, but.
1: Were the wind in my sails I wouldn't go out like before if you were the dirt in my nails.
2: if we do gigs, I guess now it's more organic. It's kind of, I share and like, uh, and promote stuff via the social media platforms that we've, we've got. So, I mean, we've got, um, you know, a Facebook page and a YouTube channel and a Twitter handle. So they all come in very useful for pushing events and gigs and stuff. Yeah. When you, with my space, it was, you know, we had dial up. You didn't even have broadband. So it was, I, I remember, downloading tracks or listening to stuff you know going to work and coming back home to listen to it because i could you know you would you'd have to wait that long to listen to a track or to download something if you had just dial up it was pretty poor i mean back in those days as well remember used to rely on things like local press and um you know you'd even flyer i mean i used to spend money on flyers we used to use our band kitty for just getting some posters done and you just don't do that sort of thing anymore it's really sad and also stickers were a big thing that we did and we did um you'd always go into the you know the band toilet the toilets at these venues and there'd be band stickers everywhere and you'd always stick yours on and we had uh what used to be called i don't know if they still do them like a press team or something and we had like a group of followers that devoted fans that we you know we owe a lot to um, who'd come to every show and support us and get coaches to support us all the venues so we had like a nice little loyal following. And they used to stand outside venues for us and with a clipboard and take people's email addresses and stuff um, for mailing lists and things. And, we, and I don't know if that happens anymore. I certainly don't see it. I know you, know you don't see it as much maybe because people just say, oh, we've got a Twitter, we're going to find us on Facebook and that's how you, you reach your fans and your following if you want to build it that way. Um the other thing as well that was really cool was badges. I don't know if they did, i mean we used to get our badges were so popular, these little pin badges we used to make um with our little logo on and stuff. and um it was just a nice little tactile, organic way of just giving something and promoting at the same time, whereas now it just feels like that isn't there you 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 just it's all in the cloud um which is very, very useful. I think you can't you can't touch and feel it i used to love going to gigs and coming home with a promo cd that someone given me as i walked out like those little mini cds that were like half the size of a main a main cd they were like really small ones and you'd get the little plastic wallet with them in and i used to just love it um and collecting these uh postcards on the bars that people would leave of different bands and promotion stuff it'd be a website you could go to but you, you know you never had like Download codes or anything like that. It was no SoundCloud. It was just a nice, organic way of reaching people um, that might potentially be interested in in your music. And uh, we were really lucky. Sorry to, I'm going to jabber on a bit now. Sorry, mate. But uh, <laughs> one of the early things that got us through, I forget now, but we got um, the NME used to have a a feature in the back pages called um, Holly's Demo Hell. And it was a character or a journalist or music journalist who used to review demos sent in by bands. And she would always, well, she was never really very kind to them. So I think I was either stupid one day. I just thought, I'll send her my demo and uh, or one of our earlier recordings or EPs. And she actually quite liked it. Or it was something like she just kind of gave it some fake praise. It was kind of like, oh, they sound like everything else, but... At least it could be worse, or something like that, and you know it, it 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 was passable basically, and it just stuck out because it was a nice thing to say, it sounded less less damning than her other reviews, and I think we just we managed to capture a nice line from her that made it sound like really good, like um a nice bit of blurb, and we used that quote on everything we did thereafter, so we had this nice little bit of uh Blurb, and then we would say "enemy," you know, underneath it, and that just opened quite a few doors on its own because as soon as we had like some kind of yeah review from the enemy, it kind of gave us a bit of more kudos, despite the fact that it was in the, the demo hell section, and she basically uh, didn't hate it as much as the other stuff that was out that week. <laughs> oh the podcast the dreaded podcast i mean this is another thing that's uh i guess is um a sign of the times is how easy it is to produce stuff and get it out there and, and i know i know i guess i was looking for something to float or to to tick a few boxes creatively so you know i've always liked films and i wanted to start a podcast with either on my own or with a friend or somebody that you know might share an interest in it and listen to a lot of podcasts especially about films because I do as well as music have a quite a big passion for movies and the way they're made and and just the whole kind of what's the word I'm looking for the whole industry I had the idea that I would we would focus on uh, not necessarily the latest film or but just the, the films that have always been critically not well received so there's plenty of and there are millions, if probably millions, of uh, podcasts out there that two blokes or three blokes and a woman, maybe, if you're lucky, you might get together uh, around a kitchen table and talk about Marvel films or they might talk about the latest blockbuster releases. And there, there are so many of those type of genre of podcasts. And I didn't want to do that. Uh, I felt that would just be a waste of time as no one would want to know what I thought. I've got no pedigree or no no um, education and that sort of thing professionally. So I decided just to pick, we picked um, critically panned films and picked one every month, sorry, every other week, and then reviewed them uh, with some funny clips, read out some funny reviews on the internet about them, try and tell a story about the film, and then also try and pick out some good things to say about it, as opposed to completely pulling it apart, which happens. Um, but we we also try to, take things out of it that are actually quite good fun um, because a lot of these films obviously are not necessarily made to be bad or no films made to be bad I think there's so much, what we've learned is there's so much studio interference and the, the director and the writer and, and uh, uh, potentially producers will come together to uh, with the greatest intentions to make something that's good and then studios either bottle it or the money's not there uh, or the or the project's too ambitious and the script is just not up to scratch and they're pushed by whatever big big people out there are trying to get something done or changed or made or, or to a certain way and i think that that does make a difference especially in the big blockbuster type stuff but yeah it, it's been really good fun and actually the podcast has evolved now we get special guests on so instead of doing everyone one every two weeks we do it weekly so we have a main film review and then we have like a guilty guilty pleasure section where i speak to or my co-host, Matthew, will speak to um, like industry people. So film critics is what um, kind of the main guests we've been having on. And then I'm kind of trying to get other film-related guests. So we've had uh, Colin Patterson, who's like the BBC arts correspondent. We've had um, James King, who's probably one of the most well-known critics we've got in the UK. I managed to get Mark Kermode... Uh, and the early days, Helen Hara. We've had uh, some authors and some painters and artists and things like that. Joe Simpson's, who's an amazing cinematic painter, and I've got some good guests coming up as well. So that's taken another, like, another section of the podcast over where we talk about films, how they got into films, what's their favourite film that's the worst reviewed. Mm-hmm.
1: It's not that you need it, you understand? I got this advice, I couldn't help but think twice, no. She kept your eyes on the road ahead, because the light. the light falls on you on you
3: yeah
1: I got this advice i couldn't help but think twice she kept you right
0: Uh, links to all the relevant bits of the internet with the Alaskan Pipelines music on it are in the show notes. Also, check out the Movie Bunker podcast as well. Now, I've now been in touch with your usual host, my nephew, Frank Bird. He's on his way home as we speak, so I'd better wrap this up quickly and get out of his flat, because he doesn't know I'm here. I hope you like this when you hear it, Frank. I'd like to think, I would like to think, it's going to be a pleasant surprise.
2: Podcast is part of Britpod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritpodScene.com or follow Britpod Scene on Twitter to find out more.